been so good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen? As you came in, I hope you received a handout. There are several texts we'll be looking at. And you may notice that this is the same handout we handed out last week. Uh, Even though I took a little more time last week on giving us a biblical understanding of church membership, uh, I was not able to get through all of that. I got through four of the seven points or one of the two questions. And so after feedback from many of you in the congregation and meeting with the worship team this week, we felt it was prudent for us to finish that particular sermon and not leave us guessing at what those last three points were. And so we're going to, again, pause from our Life Along the Way journey and return to this topic. And so as we prepare our hearts, would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your presence that's in this room And Lord, I ask that as we turn our attention to your word, that you would give us clarity. I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you have to say to us on this topic. And Lord, I pray not for human wisdom, but for divine wisdom. Your word tells us that if we need that, all we have to do is ask. And so we ask this morning, trusting that you will give it. Lord, we love you. We thank you for these holy and sacred moments. We pray this in Jesus' good and powerful name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. If you have not had a chance to, or if you were not here last week, please, I encourage you to go back and watch last week's sermon. Uh, And that is for content and context. So it'll make this week, I believe, make more sense. But for those of you who were not here uh, last week, and for all of us in general, I want to give just a very brief overview. I started last week with Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 4, where Saul is breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, verse 1 says. Notice that, the disciples of the Lord. And he goes and he asks the high priest uh, for letters to the synagogue at Damascus so that if he found anyone who belonged to the way, those were followers of Jesus, whether men or women, he may bring them bound, the text says, to Jerusalem. And then when Jesus shows up on the road to Damascus to Saul, he says this phrase that's so important for us. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He does not say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting the church or my church or my people or my disciples? He says, why are you persecuting me? And what we saw last week was that Jesus so identified With the church, he so identified himself with the church, his church, that to persecute the church, to belittle the church, to criticize the church was actually to do all those things to him. And as I said last week, I believe that our relationship with the church should be that intimate as well. I told you last week that I've been on a personal journey for about a year and a half searching the scriptures and studying church history around a simple question, and that question is, what is church membership? What does that mean? A lot of our culture today does not like that term. A lot of our culture today does not even like the concept or the idea of church membership. And I said last week, just so we're clear, uh, that there's no problem with membership here. That's not why I'm preaching this. Uh, We just had 32 people join the church last week. There's not a problem. No problem within the body at all. Very thankful for all of that. 
But it really has been a personal journey that I've been on. And as I've been exploring that, talking with the staff, talking with the lead team, talking with our worship team about that, they asked me to preach a message on it, which has now turned into two. Now, I said last week that all of us will find ourselves in at least one of five categories, at least five categories. Uh, First is that category of we are faithful and regular attenders uh, of the place in which we are a member of. That is wonderful. uh, Secondly, sometimes people choose not to go to church for a variety of reasons. They just make other choices. Thirdly, sometimes people can't go to the church in which they're a member of because of work, because of family obligations. They have a sick relative they have to take care of and things like that. And then fourthly, we have faithful shut-ins. We have people who watch us online on television every single week. They love this church. They're engaged in this church to the degree to which they can be. They invest in this church. They pray for this church, encourage this church. And then also I said last week, there are people who watch us online uh, and on television and we're kind of like a religious product. It's kind of, they kind of consume the information or the music or that kind of thing, but th- there is no personal investment here. This is not their spiritual family. And as I said last week, I say again this week, if you're at home and you're watching this somewhere and you are capable of being in church, at a church, with a church, joining a church, please do so. And the key word there is capable. I believe that every Christian is called to be a member of a local church. And we began fleshing that out last week and just very thumbnail sketch here, I asked the first question, why is church membership important? I gave you four reasons. Number one, membership is how we love one another. And by love, I don't mean the cheap worldly love. No, no, no. I'm talking about robust, real Jesus-like love for one another. Number two, membership is how we encourage one another. And again, encouragement is not just make me feel good about myself, right? Encourage means to make strong. We make each other stronger in the biblical sense of that word. Number three is how we watch over one another where we, we are watching over one another, the early Methodist movement and, and Christianity throughout the centuries, when it grows, it's when people band together and they say, I need you, brother or sister, to care about my soul. And I care about yours deeply. We use the word accountability a lot in our culture. And then lastly, what this means is, is that membership is how we witness to the world. That God's evangelism strategy for the world is a healthy local church. These beacons of light in communities all around the world. That is God's strategy. And that brings us to our second question this morning. And that second question is, what does it mean then to be a member of a local church? What does it really mean for me? And I want to give you three things here. First is that to be a member of a local church has more to do with commitment than convenience. It's about commitment, not convenience Now, you may say, Chris, what do you mean by commitment? Well, here's what happens. Whenever a person joins a local church, what they're saying to that membership body is, I am now your responsibility, and you are now my responsibility. That's the kind of commitment. Now, you you may say, what are we responsible for? Good question. What I said last week, we're responsible for loving one another, in that deep, loving way, it's an action, not a feeling. We're responsible for encouraging one another, making each other stronger, and we're responsible for watching over one another. And all of that culminates in our witness to the world, because how we live in here reflects out there, right? 
And so by commitment, we're committing ourselves to love, encourage, and watch over one another in holy love. Now you may say, Chris, aren't we just to kind of love all people in general? Well, sure, of course, absolutely. You may say, Chris, aren't we supposed to like love all Christians in general? Sure, absolutely. But membership is about you giving yourself to a particular group, a particular body, a, a particular local church of Christians. And it's about you saying, I am committed to this spiritual family. And that's quite frankly something I want for everyone, just like I want everyone to have a physical family. I believe that God calls us together. He determines, determines the times and places in which people live, Acts 17. And he calls us to gather together and to be his people together as a spiritual family. And the thing about this type of commitment is that this type of commitment is always inconvenient. It is always inconvenient. As a matter of fact, if you commit to anything, it means that you're saying no to a whole slew of other things. And that will always inconvenience you. But in commitment, you are saying, I am going to inconvenience myself for the sake of my brothers and sisters who I've banded together with. If you look in Hebrews 10, 19 through 25, it says this. It says, therefore, brothers. Now, that language brothers means he's talking to a church, right? Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us, Notice that. Not let me, let us. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us, not let me, let us together hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us, not me, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near, as you see the day of Christ's return drawing near. Now notice, there are three benefits given to us in the first three verses and then three let us statements here. And all of it is plural, by the way. First, what we have is we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. We have confidence to enter into God's presence both in this life and in the next because of what Jesus has done. Not only that, he says this new and living way has been opened for us. We now have the curtain. His flesh has now opened up for us so that we can enter into God's presence. And then thirdly, he says, and we have a great priest over the house of God. What house? The house of God, both in this life and the next, that we can now go into because of what Jesus has done. And since this is the case, since we have this confidence, since the curtain has now been torn, since we have this great priest over God's house in this life and the next, he says, let us now, in this life and in the next, let us now draw near. Now, here's the thing about drawing near. It's always inconvenient to draw near to God. It always is. I mean, just think about it. If you just open up and honestly read scripture, you see that what God wants for us is for us to, at least once a week, on the Lord's Day, it is called in the book of Revelation, 
on the Lord's Day, at least once a week, to come together in an assembly with other Christians for like the rest of our life. That's pretty inconvenient. I don't know about you. But that's the commitment that we are committing to one another, that we will come together, we will draw near together. That, that's pretty inconvenient. You know, what? a lot of times we have a word that we use in the church and outside the church. Whenever someone is a Christian publicly but not privately, we have a word for that. We call them a hypocrite. A lot of times what we try to do in today's modern culture is we try to privatize our spirituality where it's just between me and my Jesus. And so we say it really doesn't matter about the church stuff. It really doesn't matter about my other brothers and sisters in Christ. But you got to remember, you cannot say I love the father, but I hate his family. You can't say I'm in a relationship with the father, but I'm not in a relationship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. But when someone says they're a Christian publicly, but not privately, we call them a hypocrite. Well, the same is true if you flip it. If you just say, well, I just have a private relationship with Jesus. It has nothing to do with my public life. You're also a hypocrite as well. And this is so inconvenient. Like, why can't it just be one or the other? But Jesus wants all of us. The second thing he says is let us hold fast to our confession, the confession of our hope. See, hope is what produces endurance in us because we hope from the future, not for the future. We don't sit here as Christians saying, well, I hope one day it works out. No, no, no. We know it's going to work out. And so we hope from the future. We take that future hope, we bring it into our present, and that's what gives us endurance. Oh, but that's so inconvenient. It's so much easier just to give in and go with the world's definition of things. It really is. Just kind of go along and get along and just, you know, just go, just ride the wave, whatever it is. That's so much easier. But 1 Peter 3.15 Peter writes to a persecuted church and he says, sanctify the Lord in your hearts and be prepared to give an account for the hope that is in you. That's what we have to do. We have to sanctify the Lord in our hearts, draw near, and then be ready to give an account for the hope that we have. We have to cling to, hold fast to our confession of our hope. And then the third thing, he says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. You cannot do that if you don't have people that you are committed to. But again, that's inconvenient. Because you like actually have to like get to know people, right? You like have to know their name and kind of like what's going on in their lives so that you can actually consider how, think through how you stir up them to love and good works. This God we have is just so inconvenient this way. But what the text is telling us, and I think the progression is very important, is that only people who draw near to God and only people who hold fast to their hope can stir up others to love and good works. But again, all of that is inconvenient. Number two, what does it mean to be a member of a local church? It's about responsibility, not recruitment. It's about responsibility, not recruitment. You see, liberal evangelical Protestantism has done a number on the local church in modern America. And what liberal evangelical Protestantism says and has said for many decades, is that the local church needs to remove any perceived barriers, and most of the time those are mainly doctrinal barriers. We need to remove any perceived barriers and make it as easy as possible to memberize as many people as possible as fast as possible. Right? That was the whole church growth movement, by the way. Just remove barriers, make it as easy as possible so that we can assimilate as many people as fast as possible. And so the church began recruiting, recruiting people to come and be a member of my church. And it's like we were given a sales pitch, like we were selling timeshares in heaven. 
And then we look up one day and we wonder why the church is just filled with consumers. We look up one day and we wonder why the church looks just like the world. You see, there's a world of difference between a believer who goes to church and they walk in and they say, oh, I, I'm just here, I can't wait to see what I get today versus a believer who goes to church and they say, I cannot wait to get there to love and encourage and watch over my brothers and sisters in Christ as we worship the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Those are two completely different attitudes. Our job is actually not to convince and coerce Christians to join a local church. That's not it. That's based on calling, by the way, not a sales pitch. Our job is not to convince and coerce Christians to join a local church, but help them see their God-honoring, God-glorifying responsibility to their brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why John would write 1 John 2, 9 through 11. Whoever says he is in the light, oh, I'm walking in the light, I am a Christian, and hates his brother Christian is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother, number one, is in the darkness, number two, and walks in darkness, and number three, does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. John is saying that a Christian cannot escape their responsibility to love and encourage and watch over their other brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, a real Christian will want to. So you may say, Chris, okay, we're to understand our responsibility. Well, who does the recruiting? Do I do the recruiting? Do you, Chris, as the pastor? Nope, not my job at all, actually. It's not my job at all. I could take you to First uh, Timothy. I could take you to Titus. I could take you to these places. First Corinthians 3 tells us, verse 7, tells us that some plant, some water, but God gives the increase. Ephesians 4, though, I put that there for you. Ephesians 4, verse 11 says, Jesus gave, meaning he gave, Jesus gave the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, that's what I do, the teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's why ministers exist. For the building up of the body of Christ. So what people like me do is we equip the saints, you, for the work of ministry, serving, and we build up the body of Christ. How long do I do that? Until we all attain unity in the faith. Are we there yet? No. And unity in the knowledge of the Son of God. Are we there yet? No. To mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by the craftiness of deceitful schemes. That's why pastors exist, by the way. And whenever you see churches that are confused about theological matters, it's because pastors have not been clear on what Scripture says. Verse 15. Here's what we do for each other. Here's our responsibility. Rather, speaking the truth in love, that should be happening among the congregation. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. The result, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's what we do. 
Our responsibility is to speak the truth in love to one another so that we may grow into Christ. Our job is not to just get names on a membership roll. Our job is to enlist saved, repentant sinners who want to grow in and will help others grow in Christ. That's what we do as a church, according to Ephesians 4. And when that is working properly, the body grows and it builds itself up in love. You see, when we gather together, what we are doing in this moment is that we are remembering what Jesus Christ has done for us in his death, burial, and resurrection. We are remembering that. We always look back to that. That's why we always open up the scriptures here. And as we do that, we are remembered together for this purpose. As we remember him and what he has done, we are remembered together. You see that. For this purpose, that we may speak the truth in love, that we may grow up into him, and that we may build ourselves up by the power of the Holy Spirit in this kind of holy love. That's our responsibility. So what does it mean to be a member of a local church? It's about commitment, not convenience. Responsibility, not recruitment. And number three, it is about meaning and maturity. Meaning and maturity. Meaning in life. Maturity and faith, 1 Corinthians 12, 14 and following. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Some people say, you know, why does the church use member language and membership language? Well, because that verse right there, for example. Because member language is body of Christ language. For the body does not consist, uh, does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not the hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. Well, that would not make it any less part of the body. Verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would be its sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be its sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. And all were, if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is. There are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor, again, the head say to the uh, feet, I have no need of you. And of course, the, the opposite of that is true. The parts of the body cannot say, cannot say, well, I have no need of the local church either. You see, this is where we find meaning. That's why we want to be an all-generation congregation. We care about every generation that's here, from cradle to grave. And what we see is that all parts of the body of Christ have meaning, which means it would be very, very foolish if all the old people in this church said, we don't need the young people, right? It would be foolish if not sinful. And it would be very foolish if all the young people said, well, we don't need the older people. Again, that would be foolish, if not sinful, because of what John says about hating your brother, right? But also within this passage, and this idea of finding meaning and living out your meaning within the context of a local church, we have to understand that the local church is that place where we find that and live that out in beautiful and powerful ways. I had someone who came to me several years ago very successful business person, uberly successful. And then he was very successful in the church, very successful. And he came and he was providing a particular service for churches. 
And whenever he came, he told me about the service and what he does and how he goes about that. And all that was really good, really awesome. I mean, a resume that would blow anybody away in the business world or the church world. And so I always ask my question. My question to anyone who does any kind of parachurch ministry is, where do you go to church? Where do you go to church? And of course, his answer, as it oftentimes is, was, well, we're in between churches right now. And, you know, we're kind of looking to figure that out. You know, and this is one of those guys, I wish I could just tell you his name, but I'm not going to. That, that wouldn't be wise. But he's, well, we're in between church. Well, you know, you know, and the ministry's been really busy. I said, well, I really like what you provide. I mean, it looks amazing and all that stuff. But I tell you what, you can get back with me whenever you join a local church. Whenever you put yourself in that position, as all Christians are called to, to love and encourage and watch over other brothers and sisters in Christ, and you have someone who's loving you, watching over you, encouraging you and watching over you as a brother in Christ. Because again, we, get to, we compartmentalize and privatize our spirituality so much that we say, well, I'm going to go outside the local church. I'm going to start this ministry over here. But you've got to understand, a parachurch ministry, I don't care if it's a 501c3 or not, it is not the church. The church is something totally different. Now, it can be an extension of, yes, but it's still not a church. And God has called us to this beautiful thing called his body. And Acts 20 actually says he died for his church. And for some of us, that is a tweak in our thinking. I know. I can see the look on your faces. It's kind of a change because, we, again, we just want to be this American melting pot where we just say, well, yeah, if you claim to be a Christian, well, then if you identify as a Christian, then you're a Christian. Right? It's like, well, we have to open our Bibles and say, what is it? that God says that we are to be a part of and how are we to love this family that he has saved us and brought us into. Again, you cannot say, I love the father, but I want nothing to do with his family. It doesn't work that way. He goes on. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body and the body. And there he's talking to a local church, guys, but that the members may have the same care for one another. That's how you know he's talking about a local church because you cannot actively care for one another and do that cross-generationally unless you are a part, you're committed to a particular body. Again, we don't need to spiritualize this too much, but that's why he says in verse 26, and here's the true test of the maturity of a body. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And then he says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. He says, the test of maturity within the body of Christ, suffering, all suffer. It's called compassion. One member's honored, everybody rejoices. It's called celebration. Because real community is where you have the compassion and celebration of Christ and in Christ in his followers. So many times we look for meaning without maturing as a person. 
And it leaves us with shallow happiness. Or we try to mature without finding the meaningfulness of the body, which means we just have a compartmentalized spirituality. Now, I've said a lot over the last two Sundays. A lot. So let me summarize what I've said. And and I'm asking you to commit to pray to it. I'm going to give a challenge. If I were going to summarize the last two weeks, I would say it this way. A real church, meaning people, by the way, not a building, people. A real church inconveniences itself because of its commitment to its responsibility of helping fellow brothers and sisters in Christ live with meaning and maturity. And we do that through loving each other, encouraging each other, and watching over each other so that we can be an authentic witness to the world. I'll say it again. A real church, meaning people, inconveniences itself because of its commitment to, its responsibility of helping fellow brothers and sisters in Christ live with meaning and maturity. And we do that through loving one another, active love, encouraging one another, and watching over one another so that we can be an authentic witness to the world. I believe that you cannot take an honest read of the New Testament and not see that membership in a local church is not just important, it's essential. And it is the normative practice of Christians for over two centuries. And again, please hear me, brother or sister in Christ. A couple of things. Number one, if you kind of like that spirituality that kind of lets you float around, I get it. I get it. Because if you just float around too much, you have nobody who knows you very well and nobody who can hold you accountable in any way. But there's also nobody that you can love and watch over them in that love. And so before we just kind of do what all the other or a lot of churches in America are doing, just kind of make spirituality kind of this private personal thing, please be careful with that and open up the New Testament and see how this really is lived out and has been lived out throughout church history. The second thing I would say is that if you're not a member of a local church in this room, you do not have to join this church. If you're watching online on television, you do not have to join this church. That's not my pitch for this, okay? It's not it. But please join one. Please, if you are capable of being with other believers on a regular basis for love, encouragement, and watching over one another, please do that because you need it and they need you. They need you. This is like the worst church growth sermon ever, actually. I get it. I get it. But a year and a half of studying one topic has brought me to this place that, my friends, church membership is so vitally important that you give yourself to someone else and they give themselves to you and you watch over one another because of this deep love and this sacrifice that Jesus has made. My friends, that's what we're called to be, to be in that kind of relationship with one another. Again, it's not just about your name being on the roll. Those vows just make it official. It's a starting point, but it's about you truly loving the body as the body loves you. And that's my challenge to you. And again, you don't have to join this church. 
That's fine. Again, true as well, what I've also said many times is that we encourage people to take your time in joining this church. Please, just take your time. That's fine. But please commit somewhere. There's a group of believers who need you, and you need them. And you need them. You with me? All right. Let's pray. Father, in this moment, I, I pray for those who are here in the room watching online, who they would just prefer their spiritual walk with you just to be, you know, a little more, less public. And God, I pray that you would give them the grace to see the beauty of your body, that we would not reduce your church down to something that we just get some supplemental spirituality from. And Lord, I pray for even myself. Lord, forgive me for those times in which I've, I've used your church for that reason. Lord, I pray for us who are truly searching and we're saying, where is my people? Where's my tribe? And Lord, if it's not here, that's okay. I just pray that you lead people to where they need to be so that they can be committed to a people and those people committed to them. Lord, I thank you so much for the beautiful and amazing members of Fraser. God, I thank you for their dedication and prayer, their pursuit of you, but also their pursuit of one another. It is a beautiful thing to see people banding together for the ultimate goal of your glory. And Lord, I pray we would only see that increase, not for our name's sake, but for your name's sake. Lord, I thank you for this people. Pray your blessings on them this morning. I pray that this is a sacred assembly set apart unto you for witness in this world. Lord, we love you. We really do. And we thank you for loving us. We pray this in Jesus' good and powerful name. And everybody said, would you please stand?